Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Good afternoon. Happy Sunday. Welcome to the first episode of Meet the Hollywood Press. I am your host, Joseph Kapsch. And just to give you a little uh, background of what we're doing here, we're going to be gathering a panel of journalists from around the Hollywood industry each Sunday. And we're going to let you in on those conversations that happen, not, you know, before the story, after the story, in the newsroom, at a cocktail party. And we're sort of going to let you guys in on those conversations here in our studio. I want to preface something before I get pummeled on Twitter because already I've been getting emails that there's an all-male panel to kick us off, but I promise there's a method to that madness. So my gay view panel today (laughs) is because this month is LGBTQ Pride Month, and right now our New York brothers are celebrating in New York Gay Pride. And since our government doesn't recognize this month, we figured take any opportunity that you can to do it elsewhere. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest panelists for the first Meet the Hollywood Press to my left. James Vaughn, host of Celebrity Page, also a contributor on The Talk and Access. And I'm sure there's like... Anybody else who will hire me, (laughs) I am there. If your check cashes, I will show up. (laughs) Oh, God. Welcome, James. (laughs) Also, Itai Hod, senior entertainment reporter at The Wrap. Welcome, Itai. Thank you. And Gil Robertson, the president of the African American Critics Association. Hello. Welcome, Gil. He is also a frequent contributor to BET. And I also was reading online. I mean, you've wrote for LA Times. You wrote for The Biggies. Mm -hmm. So welcome, all three of you. Happy Pride. And welcome to all the viewers and listeners today. With that being said, we're going to jump right in. So just to give you um, an idea of what we're talking about today, we're going to talk about Netflix uh, N-Word Shocker. There was a big situation um, uh, uh, this week. So the head of um, PR, Jonathan Friedland, basically was in a staff meeting and he use the n-word in conversation about like using the n-word okay so very um hastily hastily read hastings the ceo um sent out a memo at about twelve forty-five p.m that day very detailed memo about um you know obviously why he was immediately fired and by the way jonathan freeland was with netflix as their communications chief for like six years and then previous to that he was at disney The interesting part, and I want to have Gil start us off here, because the interesting debate that was going on was was that it was about the context of using that word, even when you're describing uses in comedy, uses in music. Um, Give me your first take just when this broke and you sort of read the story and you read the memo. What were your immediate thoughts? It was uh surprise, you know, especially yeah. uh for someone uh at Netflix. Netflix uh at least their forward facing uh persona is one of being very progressive and liberal. Mm-hmm. And so I was uh, a little, you know, just slightly shocked. Yes. Uh that uh they had someone in working within that capacity, yeah. you know, who would make that type of uh 
uh, Fupal, not a, not once, but twice. Yes. You know, but, you know. Uh, Itai, what, what were your thoughts? My thoughts are, if you're anything along these complexions, don't say the N-word ever, not even in the shower. Uh, I think that yeah. it's, it was shocking. We were in the newsroom when, when the news came down, and mm-hmm. it was like, everyone was like, what? Like, not once, but twice. And he, he, he said it, the first time he said it was at a sensitivity training. The second time he said it, interestingly enough, yes. was at a meeting with HR to try and explain to him why the first time was such a bad idea, and that's when he used it again. Yes. <laughs> so Netflix had to fire him. There was no other thing they could do. I think it was the right call. Uh, but yes, absolutely jaw-dropping. James, in the context of what happened with Netflix, and when you're thinking about the industry as a whole, where we've got invested Investigations going on left and right uh, for um, Me Too uh, situations, things like that. Did you think that this was like a situation where it was like they moved along very hastily, just like ABC with the Roseanne thing? Or were were you sort of um, surprised then when you look at other companies that do these internal investigations and it takes even longer for them to sort of like come to conclusions? Like, I don't- well, I don't think it's a hasty move when yeah. you do it and then you do it again in front of people in the meeting. Yeah. It's like, hey, by the way, in case you missed it while you're investigating it, I'm going to do it again and show you I'm a real <laughs> jerk. It's, it's That word, I don't understand what else we have to say to white people. To yeah. like, that, that word is not okay. okay. The thing I can equate it to for us is being a gay man. There's the F, F word. word. But do we so, feel okay about that as a gay man? No, no we don't I feel, feel okay like about a, that. But I feel it's a double standard for... Us like so you don't think even a, a gay man should use the f word? I think there's times with endearment where it works. Just yeah, as, you know I'm from an interracial family. Some of you guys know, I don't think you know. Yes, so I, I grew up with siblings that are different races than me, and so yeah, there were times where a word was used adjacent to me. Yeah, but even I know like this is not a word I can use. Can it's the same thing with the f word. I choose to not use it. Yes, because I feel like if I'm using it, I'm telling other people, hey, it's okay for you to use it too. Yeah. But I just don't understand. It's 2018. Like, how do you not know that these are not words you can't say? In the context of Jonathan Freeland in this situation, I mean, like, no, without any knowledge of actually, but do we think that this was like, um, like he wanted to get fired? Because I'm trying to wrap my brain around just like what's going through his head. Because either yeah, are you drunk, are you high, or are you like, what was going on that even it's it was once, then it was twice, and in a meeting with HR. No I less. don't think he wanted to be fired, but I think the fact that he used it again sort of speaks to perhaps uh, that he. Maybe the you know the word was was, was part of uh, was something that um, I don't really know. Yeah, but the fact that he used it again is definitely troubling. Yeah, very troubling. The only thing that could have shocked me more with this story is if he would have taken a page out of Kevin Spacey's book and then would have came out as a gay black man after using <laughs> the N word because that was really effective. <laughs> By the way, I molested that guy and I'm gay. That was Kevin's defense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Which, which was which not a good look for us. Went down like out. a lead balloon. No. Yeah. Yeah. But Netflix, I, I handed to Netflix, I thought Reed Hastings' um, memo was spot on. And I loved how he even got into sort of the uses of it with rap music and hip-hop music and comedy. And basically it was like, just like you said, no white people should be using but the word. But the fact They're, that apparently a, a period of time had elapsed between his first use and this follow up with human resources. Yes. So I think if he was really making a statement, he should have been out of there the first time. Agreed. Okay, so moving on from one racist situation to another. (laughs) 
So, Roseanne Barr and the rabbi. Now, okay, so to back up, this week we found out after Roseanne's original racist tweets, if if you um, are not aware of this story, like the rest of the universe, she sent out a tweet uh, a couple weeks ago about uh, Obama's uh, former uh, advisor, Valerie Jarrett, and that, that she looked like she was a descendant of the Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes. Okay. So she subsequently got fired, uh, obviously, and then now we found out the sitcom is moving forward at ABC without mm-hmm. her. Still no word, and unless you guys know, um, I'm a, they still haven't told us how she's being written out. So I got some ideas. Oh, well, no, I think we all do. <laughs> so what she, apparently what hit news, a gift for us um, on Sunday, on the first Sunday of Meet the Hollywood Press, she went on a, a telephone call with her former spiritual advisor, who is actually... Um, Isai, you were familiar with Rabbi, say it so I'm saying it Rabbi Shmuley. Rabbi Shmuley. I, um, and so he's also like known in the celebrity world for, you know, uh, working with several celebrities. Roseanne used to work with him and now I guess this brought them back together. What yes, else? he was also in the White House with Steve Bannon recently when Steve Bannon was still there. <laughs> Interesting. So basically she got on the phone after all this happened. It was two days after the original tweet, but the audio now just surfaced because he released like a, a cut transcript. And I just want to play some of the audio really fast I, of her conversation. A loud mouth and all that stuff, but I'm not stupid for God's sake, and I never would have wittingly called any black person a say they are a monkey. I never would do that, and I didn't do that. And if people think that I did that, it just killed me. I didn't do that, although they think it did, and if they do think that, I am so sorry that I. You know, it was so unclear and stupid. I'm very sorry, but I don't think that. I never would do that. But you still, I you, but you still regret and don't excuse what you wrote. Of course, no, I don't excuse it. I horribly regret it. Are you kidding? I've lost everything, and I regretted it before I lost everything. And I said to God, I am willing to accept whatever consequences this brings because I know I've done wrong. I'm willing to accept what the consequences are, and I do, and I have. Okay, so coming back in from that here, so just um, initial thoughts. She is a good actress. (laughs) There you go, Roseanne. I almost believed you, girl. Okay, I honestly, it's interesting you say that because... I am. I can't believe I'm even going to sit on my brand new platform and and somewhat defend Roseanne Barr. Okay, do we? Th- I, I have a theory. I feel like do she reminded me of almost like an old like senile grandmother or like someone that's not like losing their faculties. Like it was semi sincere to me when I was listening to her song. Whether she was half in the bag or on Ambien or whatever else, you know, uh, she was on. Did you think there was any sincerity whatsoever? I think it was sincere. I mean, she's crying, and obviously you feel for her when you hear it, except for one thing. I mean, this would have this would have been a lot more convincing in my mind if she hadn't called Susan Rice an ape also, like in 2013 or well, something like that. Well, she said she has the balls. Like like she had, no, I thought she said Susan Rice has, like, gorilla balls or something Something like along that. those lines, still. Yeah. Uh, uh, very adjacent, very too close for comfort. And, you know, it's like, and she got a lot of flack for it at the time. Yeah. 
she should have known better. It's not like she had no idea that this is a controversial thing to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, things white people should not say. <laughs> you just know that's not something you should say. Like, how are you that ignorant in 2018? I don't get it. Gil, listening to the audio, what are your what are your initial thoughts? Too little, too late. Yeah. No, I mean it's unfortunate that uh, you know she lost her job. You know, so. Um, she lost uh, everything, actually. Uh, I doubt if she lost everything. Yeah. But, you know, she lost her job, and a lot of the people who are around her also have lost uh, income. Yeah. But the fact that ABC has decided to move forward with the show, uh, you know, I mean, hopefully that can yield some sort of positive uh, message, you know, once they go back into production, maybe in some clever way they can address, yeah. you know, the situation. Um, those people who were connected with the show... Uh, the, the the crew, the tech guys, mm-hmm. you know, they still are gainfully employed, so that's a plus. Two hundred. And we should give and her credit way, for that. For, I for, do yeah. give she, her... she had to she had to give up her you know this is she had to give up her her residuals. She had to give up her financial stake in this in this reboot in this third reboot. Uh, that's a good thing that she did. I think it was a good a good first step forward in terms of atonement. But I think there's a long way to go. I think this interview with Rabbi Shmuley, while fascinating, uh, doesn't take away from what she said and what she's done. But the interesting thing is. It was it was it was uh, taped two days after it actually happened. So even that was way before we even knew that a spinoff would happen. I the timing of it all is is there a strategy here? Like, does she want back in? Does she want redemption? Does she want to come back? Well, she's to the not show? getting back on that show. No, she's definitely not getting back. Well, on Well, here's the thing. Here's my theory on this. Yeah. I think that her giving up her stake in the show, which allowed um, these two hundred people to keep their jobs yeah. and the show to go forward. Uh, is something that people are going to remember. And mm-hmm. I think that if they... I don't know how they're going to write her out of the show, but if they don't kill her outright, <laughs> there is a chance, I think, that down the road, maybe she after she's... She on a ham sandwich made by an immigrant. You mean like in the 10th season? <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. Um, the interesting thing, though, in the article, if you read deep deeper mm-hmm. in... In the original article about the spinoff, she does retain rights to her character, character for yeah. future spinoffs. Right. So, mm. so to me, it's like so. If there are any other spinoffs, to, but they have to kill her. So then, what they just sort of—that's like, why I don't think she's going to be killed. And so I she think will she be might have some guest appearance. The wall that is built, yeah. they, they will find right. her. And yeah. I think it was a very right. smart branding uh, moment for her to to allow the show to go mm. forward because that's the only thing that's going to ever allow her to come back as Roseanne on TV and and maybe make some money off that character down the road. I think they should send her away to a loony bin. I mean, I think it's kind of uh, it's kind of fitting, no? Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, why not? I think, though, like, the one thing that I always try to focus on when we do have these conversations, because it's very easy to go in on people. Yeah. And so now, Roseanne has done a list of things yeah. that are not so great. Yeah. But now maybe she is making the first step. To start to make things right. Yeah. And so there has to be some capacity for forgiveness with people. I'm not saying you wipe the slate clean and you say, okay, fine, whatever, forget it all. But you have to start forgiving people and allow people to learn and change. Because people can learn and change. And I've done it. I know people have done it. To see my family do it with like me coming out and then learning to have gay people and their family. And to the point now that my big brother goes to drag bars. Like people (laughs) can learn and change. And what kind of way does he wear? We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Them in there, you just wait. But you have to just remember, like that people are always constantly learning, and some people learn slower than others. And let's give her—I'm not saying put her back on TV, but she's taken the first step. 
And so let's have a little bit of... I think it's going to depend on whether or not she does something with this moment. So she's going to take this moment and turn it into a teachable moment. Meaning, mm-hmm. is she going to do some work when it comes to racism? And perhaps, in a way, giving back to the African-American community after what she's done to earn their apology. It's not enough to say, you're sorry. You have to say, I'm sorry. Here's what I'm going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah. And ultimately, it depends on if the show's a hit. Yes. If the show's a hit and it's generating money... Over time, all, all could be a lot of things can happen. You mean which the spin-off, is, even the spinoff? Which is questionable. In this town, we've seen everything. Oh, and Hollywood loves a comeback. Can they I love- just say something without anyone hating on me? But I just did not think that reboot was funny in the least. And I, I liked loved it. Roseanne. Okay, I really liked it. Loved it. Listen, I am one of the people online because you were saying about like letter maker mistakes. Here's the thing. I actually was in in vicious threads on social for actually watching the show and saying that I could separate the comedy from, like, who she is. Like, I disagree vehemently with her politics, or at least her politics of 2000, of now. Like, the Roseanne back from the original Roseanne was actually a progressive figure yes. in, in politics. Mm-hmm. It just, it's somewhere along, which is why I go back to this thing again. Not a doctor, not a, not, 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 you know, but... I feel like there's more than we know here because it just feels to me like a like a decline in like mental state. Like it just it doesn't. Well, seem... we know she's 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 herself talked about her mental health issues. Obviously, yeah. this this is not you can't separate the two. Clearly, there there are some yeah. issues there. I think, I, personally, I watched the show, and I, I was a big fan of the original. I still think, by the way, that the original series stood the test of time. Still extremely funny today yes. if you watch the reruns. Uh, I didn't think this... Sh- Unlike Will and Grace, which was able to recapture that magic, right? Because you're yeah. watching Will and Grace, speaking of pride. Uh, a wonderful... They were able to go back to that sort of funny uh, you know, moment that they had, the magic that they were able to recreate that. But here, in this instance, I thought kind of fell flat. I mean, other than the fact that this was a working class Trump supporting family, there wasn't really all that much there that I thought was all that groundbreaking. But her, so her defense though, okay, so bear with me for one more second and I will not continue to belabor this, but her um, basically defense in this was that when she was referring, there was almost thoughts in her mind that had to do with uh, Valerie Jarrett's stance on the you know, the, 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 the politics and the religious war over there. So in my mind, I'm sort of thinking like, did any of us, I know I have, did you ever just sort of like tweet or Facebook something and you're thinking like what you're thinking in your head came out in the thought, but it didn't. I don't know why I'm being a Roseanne apologist right now, but I'm just sort no, of I think she's, trying she to said, present she both said even, sides. She said even in this interview with Rabbi Shmuley that she is adamant about the fact that she did not know that Valerie Jarrett was black and that she would have never said that had she known that she was African-American. Well, I don't know if I believe the last it. I know, I mean, especially <laughs> if you consider the fact that Valerie Jarrett is probably one of the biggest villains um, if you think of the uh, the Republican sort of Trump base. Yeah. You say the word Valerie Jarrett, it's just like saying the word Susan Rice, interestingly, she said the same thing about both. So that's why I have a hard time squaring that with I didn't know she was African American, but that's what she claims. But the Ambien. The Ambien. But her emails. <laughs> yeah. The timing of it is interesting to me because the, the rabbi himself did the, the edited transcript and then now it's sort of out there on the week after we find out about the sitcom. You know, the spinoff, excuse me. So the strategy begins. Again, we've got to wait and see if it's a hit. If it's a hit, then who knows what we're likely to Yeah, see. the question is, can the Connors even be funny 
uh, without in the Roseanne. Wake of the right. situation. Or, or yeah. without Roseanne. Yeah. James, right. you're on the talk. Get, yeah. get um, well, Sarah Gilbert on the on the call on a phone. That's what I'm saying. With Sarah Gilbert as an executive producer, and Sarah was the one that made this reboot yes, happen. Yes, Sarah made She the made the original Roseanne reboot happen. It was yes. the her doing exactly so she knows the magic was there and I think if you watch that show and you watch all the character there are plenty of characters on there that can yeah. entertain us without her and like hey we have Wanda Sykes as a writer before why can't we bring in Auntie Wanda all of a sudden and now we have a new character can you imagine her energy with that cast there's a lot of people you could put in that space it's For gonna sure. be fine without Roseanne it's gonna be better I hope because so. you're gonna not polarize as many people no you'll get more liberals to sample now also the the interesting thing I that I said my theory was like if they Killer, have Dan's um, new post Roseanne girlfriend be African American because I feel like that's kind of poetic. You know, bring like bring like a diva on you like from the nineties. Bring Jack Hay on to play uh, to play. Dan. I would love that. No, I think it'd be great. That I mean, would be amazing. also I agree with you. Like with Fuller House, how it was DJ Tanner mm-hmm. in the next thing. It's mm-hmm. sort of like around Darlene. It could work. I work. think it could work. They did it on so many shows before. Darlene is the funniest thing Sarah's about the that, show. On that show. She's Period. That yeah. Yeah. And all of them, I think out of all of them, if you watch this reboot, all of them took a little time to get back into their sort of... In their groove. In their, in their space, and their groove. Sarah Gilbert, from the very first moment, was right there, just like nothing has happened. Nothing has changed. Do you think Roseanne is beyond redemption? For this, like the way like Bill Cosby became like like Bill. To me, there's two people in Hollywood. Anyone agree with Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby can never, in my opinion, make a comeback. I think They're if done. Mel Gibson is not beyond redemption, yeah. then nobody is not is exactly above redemption. So yeah, so what? Well, time's clicking though. How old's Roseanne? I don't even. She's. 60s, she's in her 60s. Okay, I'm gonna say it's the second half of the 60s, but I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, I think there actually could be a road to redemption, kind of to go back to what I was talking about earlier. If she continues to make these steps and then do what you said, Mm -hmm. teachable moments and really actually physically do things to show I've learned my lesson. Let me show you the lesson I've learned so you can learn it as well with me. So, and you know, she's the crazy grandma. I think the fact that crazy grandma chance. I think the fact that she's kept the rights to. Her character tells yes. you that she thinks she's got a she's road to redemption for redemption. sure. Yeah, it's so interesting because it was like you're right. Sarah put it all together, and I remember reading like a lot of the press about it, where Roseanne was sort of like when she called her, she said, "Well, what did John say? He's on board," and she's like, "All right, I'll do it." It was like it, people think she really wanted to do, but it feels like she could have taken or leave it from the start. That's well, she my said opinion. she said that she would only do it if Sarah Gilbert would take on all the responsibilities well, yeah, she and all the deal. fighting with a network, <laughs> yes. which told you what state of mind she was. She wasn't like dying to do this; she would be willing to do it under certain conditions. Yes, but she sounds from from that interview, she sounds like she's definitely not happy about how things transpired. And so, what a, is any of you on this question who who has the uh, answer? What would we need to see her do? Like, does she need to establish like a? Um... She needs to adopt a black baby. It's just going to take time. <laughs> you know, it's going to take time. Yeah. Okay. You know, just like Mel Gibson, you know, went away and you know started off with an independent. You know, it takes it's a process. Do we think Mel Gibson is complete? Now, not to get off topic, is accepted back fully? I mean, I still feel like. There's a big contingency that's sort of... Well, like last a, year they ran an Oscar campaign for him, right. so, so clearly... Yeah. Uh, so you're saying in, in terms of the insider, the industry, sort of, like... The industry, sort of, has, like, has, the has, dis- has the welcomed him back. Yes, he's, he's but now... publicly, yeah. do we think? Like, I mean, I know he was in Daddy's Home, too, with yeah. uh, Mark Wahlberg, which was, like, 
everyone said was hilarious. But I don't know you, too many Jews who are dying to work with him. Well, yeah, the, certainly not. <laughs> yeah. I, the thing that always uh, got me is because Jodie Foster supports him, and I actually really respect her, and I think uh, I respect a lot of her views, and there's got to be something she sees in this guy if she goes out on a limb for him still, even to this day. Yeah, and you got to remember, like, in our everyday life with our friends, we allow people to make mistakes. Yes. Right. They learn from right. them. So let's let these people learn from them. I'm not saying... Okay. Do what you're doing because the behavior is awful. But allow people to learn from. Absolutely. But we, but we need. And by learning to... from it, we mean doing Passion of the Christ two, oh, which was already coming under under fire the first time around for its anti-Semitic undertones. That's a good way to um, come back to Hollywood and show that you've learned sure. a lesson. Okay, so but but we we need her to be off social media for a little while. Yeah, she, she needs to, needs to go she needs to away here for a while. Yeah, we don't. Sure. She needs a social media diet. <laughs> Yes. Okay, so moving on, guys. This next story, I think I'm more excited about this story than even the other ones just because it's kind of like um, in the weeds, like media um, story. But okay, so to give you a little background, and by the way, full disclosure here, because Itai and I both worked with the writer on this piece who basically got eviscerated over the weekend by his former... um, uh, colleagues. colleagues at LA Times. Thank you. So basically, just to give you a little gist of this. So um, Scott Collins, who was a, a television reporter at LA Times, just on the heels of this week where LA Times was getting all this press for its reboot. It has uh, local ownership again. They're going to be moving into these high-tech offices. And there's sort of like a lot of the morale is finally after all these years of it just being such a mess with the owners over there that um, there's some hope, you know, and some light at, uh, down the end of the tunnel. So basically, then a Columbia Journalism Review um, uh, published this piece by Scott. And I just, you know, just to give you like a little a little uh, taste of it, it starts off going, uh, it's called the decline and fall of entertainment reporting. Okay. My journalistic hopes died a little the night I hugged RuPaul. Keeping in mind the writer is a straight white male. white male. First of all, you just set my goals, so <laughs> I'm already not with this guy. No, I mean, like that's why already, I got into he's this. He's already crossed him off his list. I mean, one evening in 2014, I found myself interviewing the namesake of RuPaul's Drag Race for a Los Angeles Times video roundtable with Emmy Fogels. No slight against the hardworking stars of reality TV, but this sort of softball hosting dude was not one of the reasons I started in daily journalism 25 years ago. The Times needed to say, anyway, it goes on to, to into this whole, um, basically, history of at the Times, how it, it was once like a place of journalism, and then as like the evolution of media started and social media, that all of the entertainment started to be all about Oscar ads and the industry putting all this for your consideration mm-hmm. dollars. Suffice to say... Garrett Kennedy, who was his former colleague on Twitter, got got a hold of the piece and served him on Twitter. But it just start, it started out that basically it was like, I know the writer of this piece, and this is revisionist, basically, like because this is like basically they were all calling BS on the piece. I was just uh, taken by it because I've never, and you guys can remind me. I've never seen a bigger pile on on one writer from all of their former colleagues that like the place that like was so overwhelming that I, I felt for him because I do I have always gotten along with Scott personally, but I think this was misinformed. I just think it was ill informed. What are your initial I don't thoughts? Know. On I, that? I I see some of his points. And I I I'll 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 say this about the whole RuPaul thing. I see why some people are upset about that. I think what he meant to say was just 
it wasn't necessarily RuPaul. It's just when you go into journalism, and I've had these issues too, you don't think that that's what you're going to be doing, covering a, a panel with reality stars. But Again, no you, offense to reality stars. But don't stars. you think that that's what the problem is, though, when journalists get on this sort of... That's why, like, the public hates media right now, because it's like that turn up your nose that, like... RuPaul, like, it just to me, it was dripping with condescension and elitism. But, like, you know, I also agree with some of the points. I think that what he yeah. failed to realize, what the, the piece fails to address, is that the model simply changed. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. the nature of the media today requires certain things. A lot of that has to do with social media and other things. But yeah. that, you know, uh, you're right, I don't think any of us, or some of us certainly didn't come into this to uh, focus on uh, some of the things that are focused on. You know? Yes. But not to say that we want to be lofty or we want to be above it all, but just that we had other aspirations. I, but it's true. I mean, if you th- we've had these conversations when you were working, we were working together about how, you know, what's the balance, right? Because mm-hmm. you have yeah. to, you want to cover all the fluffy stuff because it brings in all the clicks. Yes. Right? Uh, but you also want to make sure that you're not focused on uh, 37 times, you know... Uh, Kit Harrington picked his nose on Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, all these listicles that yeah. will drive you crazy, but those are the things that drive in the traffic, which you know keeps the lights on, so you can write the more uh, the more serious stuff. He, he is really sort of bashing the whole uh, entertainment journalism as as an entity. And, and, and what struck me really about this is the timing of it during the Me Too era. Where, mm. if anything, we should be commending the uh, Hollywood reporting that's been done on this issue. Absolutely. And it's true that the New York yeah. Times, he mentions that even that was broken by the New York Times and the New Yorker, not by people in Hollywood. But what he forgot to mention in this piece is, yes, those two initial stories were broken by New York publications. But all the rest of it was people like us going in and breaking the rest of the stories and and. and, and Continuing to 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 report on this movement. Well, I think that the um, the the sort of message he was trying to get at there was that Hollywood didn't report on it because of the four year consideration dollars. You know what I'm saying? I don't and think that's true. There, no, it's debatable because I worked at I worked at like every trade at this point now, and it's sort of like I don't have any knowledge that that's the case. But there's definitely it's definitely of interest to me that. If you looked on any books after the year now that Weinstein was completely off the radar and wasn't there to let, I mean, I'm sure all their books took a big hit during Oscar season. Okay, so you don't know. Let's just put it that way. I, I to me, that's a big question mark about like. I know that um, Janice, uh, who he also mentions, Janice Min, my former was too at the Hollywood Reporter. He did give her props, which I agree with about that was a bright spot in journalism for entertainment journalism when she took over the Hollywood Reporter, and she did she did speak out already about how. Kim Masters at some point was on to the story. So it's not like they weren't trying to report the Harvey stuff, but it was like more like a matter of like some of the stuff that they had gotten was off the record and it was an off the record conversation and things like that. I think, though, in this particular issue with Scott, because he references 2005, right, when all this show recap fluffy stuff started. I was the enter- I, I became the deputy entertainment editor at LA Times at that time. I was part of the you know, evil people that had to get traffic for, you know, the newspaper. And it was like, I just found it to be um, interesting that it's this either or. Like in journalism today, like, do you not think that a site can, I think a site can have both. It's, Absolutely. And there's well, they plenty have to. out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, just as you were saying, I mean, one feeds the other. Without the clicks, you can't pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah, but the question is how much of it. And I think there's a right. point to be made that journalism, because of the internet, because of the fact that there are no more... Um, 
deadlines necessarily, right? It's all about yeah. feeding the beast and, and doing it as fast as you can and getting it on the page very quickly. You lose some of the quality, you lose some of the depth, and then you end up with a lot of the fluffy stuff and very little of the serious stuff, which, let's face it, gives you the credibility but doesn't really bring in the money. The money. Well, that's what I think the whole problem is, is that, like, journalism is not, it's it's a business. So that's when the news business is a business. So at the end of the day, it's like, you have to make money. But you also have a responsibility to inform, right? And to make sure that you're selling, let me put it this way. Every time you write one of these listicles, you're selling your reputation a butt, right? You're you're, Mm -hmm. you're chipping off a little bit off your reputation in order to get some of that cash. And the question is, are you playing a short game, which is... 17 listicles a day or are you are you playing a long game which is you know a listicle here and there to get some of that traffic but to remind people no we are a serious uh trade and we're covering this industry from the business perspective the trades the culture uh what's going on within hollywood and not who's divorcing who and who's got the latest you know i don't know line out we're a source that you can rely on exactly and like reliable james going back to the um the part though about Garrick, his colleague, like going in on him because I know I you have a very um, funny sense of humor and able to. A lot of people were putting like gifts of like Wendy Williams, like yeah, sipping tea. tea. <laughs> so I wanna, so the question I pose to you is, how do you feel about though the fact of like airing this kind of stuff, colleague to colleague on Twitter with your peers? Like, what, what's your feeling on that? Well, I mean, I feel like it's okay if you're going to put your one story out there, then someone else has a different take on you. Yes, they're totally. Fine to put their story out there as well, and let yeah. us be able to see both sides. But how old is this guy? Um, I mean, I don't. He's got to be in his 50s? early forties now. I think early forties, mid forties, maybe. It just sounds okay. to me like an angry person that doesn't want to keep up with the times. Like someone when TV came out, like, nah, we're sticking to radio, and then, like you know, he's like, I want a DVD. No, that's not the world we live in anymore. We live in a world where sometimes yeah. the celebs now can. They can get us on the scoop because all I gotta do is go on their Instagram. They control and boom, their message. It's up there themselves. So like, get with the program. If you don't like it, switch industries. Which I mean, he did. He bounced out, and I was gone. Yeah, he bounced. So I I love where our industry is going. I agree. and that's why I'm in it. I think I think it's cool, and I think it's updated, and I think it's new, and I'm glad it's not the old school way. And I agree. Well, even just because I think it's all turned on its ear, even the way that things uh, can originate on digital and then end up the other way, mm-hmm. broadcast yeah. this way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, um, it's you're right. It's a different world we live in. And I actually fought those battles. Like, I absolutely respect every minute that I had at the L.A. Times because it taught me so much about journalism. But we had battle scars because it literally was a daily battle of the digital team versus the, right. the print um, veterans. And so this just was basically like all of this version of one reporter's story of all of that evolution. But I just felt like it was just... But I I think it's disingenuous for people, even at the LA Times, to not take any of what Scott is saying completely... Oh, no, there's definitely some some valid stuff in there. there. And I think those arguments are being discussed right now in most newsrooms in America right now. Yeah. How Mm -hmm. much of the clicks versus how much Mm -hmm. of the actual real good storytelling. What I would say is the LA Times has done some amazing reporting during the Me Too uh, uh, movement. I think they've broken some really important stories in the last few years, even with all of the turmoil and the trouble that they've had. And I think that's kind of what's missing out of this story. And in Jared's defense, I mean, Jared is a quality journalist. He uh, has written amazing work for the paper and just recently did a a real good uh, look at uh, the rap culture. Yes, uh, I read that. that. has done very well. So um, in his defense... Um, you know, you're not talking about everyone who works at the LA Times. You know, some of the 
writers who come to work there, you know, are serious about their craft and want to put their best foot forward. Yeah. So the interesting thing you just said though is about the LA Times have broken, but that's the the interesting thing is I can th- I can rattle off like a New York like ten stories right now that New York Times broke or Washington Post, but nothing sticks out in oh, my mind for L- for I LA can, Times. I can me. tell you, and I, that's not a slight. I'm just I'm being completely honest. No, like, but James Toback was the LA Times. The 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 oh the, that's the, right. The James it, Franco was the LA Times. Whether you agree with that story or not. It was a very big story. Well, it's not even a matter of agreeing with it. The girls that event re- right. re- reneged. I mean, the GMA, the post GMA interviews were embarrassing. Brett Ratner was the LA Times. They also broke that story, okay, fair which enough. was a huge story. There were a lot of stories that the LA Times broke throughout the Me Too movement. So I think to say that all they do is fluff all day is I don't a think that, no, I don't think they do fluff at all. I think that what they do really well is local coverage. Like that's never waned. I think the and through all of the. Turmoil with the different ownerships. They've ne- that's never waned in my in my view. Okay, yeah. So then, moving on from that, um, I want <laughs> we're going to have a little section of the show every week. Trump talks <laughs> because how to not to not cover Trump even as a Hollywood uh, show is to not exist in my uh, opinion. So obviously, this <laughs> week, uh, Melania Trump went to visit immigrant children in Texas, oh, you know, obviously with all the, the, the problems we're having with families being separated at the border, and she was wearing uh, I really don't care jacket. So what are your thoughts on sort of all this? Like, is, is Melania just like a super, like, PR genius that we don't know what this messaging actually is, or is this like a bunch of, a uh, series of unfortunate events each mm-hmm. time? No, like, no, no, no. You guys, Melania is trolling all of us. <laughs> like, when this is done, and Trump's out of office, and he's moved on from his presidency, yeah. and she can finally speak, she's gonna come out and be like, yo, I did this, 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 and this. <laughs> <laughs> like, she, she's playing with it. She's having a great time. This isn't what she, she didn't sign up to be the first lady. She no, signed up to, you know, marry this gazillionaire, supposedly. Yeah. And so, that's what she wanted to do, and be the hot model wife. Yeah. Now she's like, I gotta be the first lady. Alright, I'm gonna have some fun with this. I think she's playing with all of it. So you think the jacket had nothing to do, the message had nothing to do with anything that was going on currently in, 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 in this whole debate? You know, I sort of think that it was a message to him. You know, the yeah. fact that she didn't wear it when she got there, okay. and that she did put it back on when she returned, I think that it was some sort of message being sent directly to him. Now, what that message is, I'm yeah. not sure. I think whoever thought of that move should be fired immediately. Totally, yeah. totally. I mean, no, no I really yeah. think that it was one of the worst decisions she could have made uh, putting on that jacket as she's going to supposedly care about these children who are taken away from their families. Whatever the message was, and Mm -hmm. she claims, or he claims, that it was to the media, whatever that was, it was ill-conceived and ridiculous, and obviously the optics are terrible. And she just went from someone who, even if you disliked the Trump administration, perhaps you were willing to give her the benefit of the doubt because of the fact that clearly their relationship has been, you know, somewhat They're not questioned. Up yes, uh, <laughs> but this sort of puts her in that same category as him because of the tone deaf message that that jacket had. On. But I thought by her going to visit the children, wasn't that trying to say like I'm breaking from my husband on this? I yes, mean, but it, what did we talk about? All we talked about was that jacket. The jacket. Yeah. So even that took away from everything she did that day. And, of course, the first thing that she asked when she got there is, how can I help you? And my first thought was, how about you talk to your husband? Who do I need to call? Your husband. 
I don't think she no. wants to talk to you. <laughs> they talk through each other probably through What can I do and... to help you? I don't know. Maybe you can talk to the man you're married to. Does anyone think there's the smallest possibility that it was just an accident and everyone oh, was no. just no. so no. unaware? No. She's no, much she doesn't, too. She doesn't well, buy her. I say I thought. It's not so like she goes, she goes to Zara and looks at a jacket and right, picks it up. And right. goes, this is something that had to be brought to her. She had to either ask or buy it. or, or This was a decision that Maybe was done by more than one person. her. Who knows? I was actually surprised she wears she Zara. She has a team. Actually, her stars are I mean, just no, like think, us. I think it's great. Okay. It's, it's <laughs> really? No, she I'm has a team this, of people. this is the same company that had Pepe the Frog on their skirt jeans and had to cancel that. Remember that whole yes, story? Yes, I do remember yes, that. Yes, this is not a company that... I think no one's ever talked about this. But the fact that she picked Zara, of all things... Oh. Has, has to be questioned because that company has a history of anti-Semitic clothing. Mm. They also had a whole line of, uh, of, remember the line that looked like you came out of Auschwitz? No. Yes, that they had to cancel that line because some people, uh, they put it next to like a, a uniform from like the World War II oh, from the God. concentration camps and it was exactly the same. Oh, this is a company that's had several very questionable sort of items on display and now this, I But did know. the jacket sell out? <laughs> Did it yeah. sell out? That's the thing. She, well, she should be getting residual. Maybe, maybe it was a maybe, maybe they're going to contract this week. Yeah, it's like those people that get paid to post on Instagram. That was her paid post. Oh my god! Hashtag ad. Go on, Melania. Okay, so moving on from that, um, this is actually even more delicious. So, um, our everyone's favorite press secretary in the world, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, announced via Twitter that. She had been asked to leave the Red Hen restaurant in Virginia just because she works for Trump, which, I mean, I got to meet the, I mean, I want to meet the owner of the restaurant personally, but. what you know why she said she did that, right? Speaking of gay pride, she said she did that because of the fact uh, that she didn't like uh, the way the administration has dealt with the LGBTQ community. Yes. So it was in direct relation to that. And she has several gay employees there. Yeah. But although, okay, so wait, but that gets into this, I feel, let's start first question though. Do you feel that this was uh, in the right? That this is just refusing service to a person? Uh, Potentially it's uh, problematic. Yes, agreed. Um, the statement that it yields right now is great, it's funny, but I think in the long run, you know, it sets a precedent that could potentially be dangerous. Yes. And, or, and abused, you know. I think that would have carried a little more water if they hadn't already done that with a, with a gay community. Meaning you can't complain about... Uh, you know, when she was asked, I think it was in December, right after the first hearings on mm-hmm. the Supreme Court case with a bakery, she was asked whether she'd be okay with a sign that said, no gays allowed, because that was sort of what was going to happen if this went forward. And she said, yes, she would be okay with that. So yes. you can't complain that a restaurant, you can't say a restaurant can refuse service to people based on moral uh, on their moral sort of beliefs mm-hmm. on one hand, but when it comes to you, I mean, this is the same thing, right? If you think about the equivalence yeah. here, mm-hmm. you're refusing service for someone based on on, 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 on on moral background, right? On a moral issue. It's uh, What's the difference? It's, it's very much pot kettle black. I mean, yeah. it really is. Like, there's a lot of hypocrisy in this, 
But the thing, to talk it back to like what I learned with my family, people can learn and change. I think there was a missed opportunity for possibly a dialogue there. Yes. That I'm not saying it wouldn't have been a good one because she doesn't seem in those press conferences to want to have a dialogue. But <laughs> maybe she could have. And she is a mom. Maybe they could crack through and find a little bit of heart in there. So there was a missed opportunity there that instead just turned into a chance for Sarah to, you know, rile up her supporters while the people on the other side get to rile up too. Which it's working because the 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 Yelp page is like littered with one star. <laughs> However, I believe that the Trump administration probably called up the oh, Russian no, they had bots to, they had to, to go scrub it down because of the, because every, all the Trump supporters weighed in. But I can tell you this: first, two things. One, there's another red hen, I think, in in in, uh, in New Jersey that came out saying that because they got so many calls, because everyone yes. thought that they were the one, and they were like, "No, no, no, you can come and eat here." So clearly, not everyone's on board with that policy. Yes. But the other thing I think is interesting is the fact that she said in that tweet how she always. Uh, treats everyone with respect, even if she disagrees with them, yeah. right? That's what she said in the tweet. And I think it was someone who responded to her on Twitter and said just the quote that she said to Jim Avila when she said to him, oh, for people who you can't even understand short sentences or something. Remember that sort oh, of obnoxious to, thing she said yeah, to him? Yeah, to the scene. So someone should just responded to her with that line with that. to show her that that's not exactly true. She just needs a little love. Like, look at her. That's a sad face. <laughs> she, needs she just needs a little love. It's, but I'm telling you, there's opportunity. Remember, she got compared to, and I'm not saying it, but she got compared to Aunt Lydia from Handmaid's Tale. Yes, she did. Well, oh, if you, I, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it yet, there's starting to be little cracks in Aunt Lydia that maybe there's some heart and love in there. Right. Maybe Sarah's going to come out and she's going to be the savior of us all. Who we knows? hope so. Yeah, really there's, hope there's a, that's so. a mama. That's somebody's mama. <laughs> you got to remember that somebody. It's okay, Sarah. She just needs love. I'm going to hold her tight. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so now I we are going to move to something where um, we're going to call this segment every week, Overheard Hollywood, where I'm going to give my panelists an opportunity um, to just tell us uh, something you're hearing, something you're working on or have worked on, but something that our audience would be interested in knowing about the week to come or something uh, last night, maybe at an event, anything. Scoop us, fellas, what you got? Yeah, I can only give you like a little hint about what I'm working on. Yes. But it's, I can't give you too much, but it's going to be another look on the whole, at the whole Me Too movement from the, a different perspective. And perhaps the... Um, Is it still going on? It's still going on. Yes, yes, it's absolutely still going on. No, I mean, I say that with love because I feel like it's like... Anyway, that's a whole other show. The hope is that it's not going to stop going on. That's really the hope. Good, we hope. We hope Uh, so too. So we're going to be, we're working on, on just a look at the Me Too movement, perhaps at the, uh, also the negative sort of consequences of the Me Too movement. Yeah. That's something that I'm going to be working on. You're working on that. Okay. Gil? Well, at AFCA, at the African American Film Critics Association, we just, we're having a, Summer screening series. Uh, we uh, screened uh, Coming to America on Monday. It was the 30th anniversary oh, right of that on. title. 30. And wow. in July, we're going to be screening Poetic Justice. Oh, love this. Uh, with director John Singleton. It's the 25th anniversary of that title. Oh, my God. And regarding Me Too, expect a major announcement at Toronto regarding a, a PR toolkit uh, to sort of increase uh, the way that um, publicists in general, entertainment publicists in general, uh, identify and work with uh, journalists of, across the board. I like that. And does that have anything to do with Time's Up or this is specifically Me Too? 
Uh, it's Time's Up. Okay, got it. Got it. And James? Well, you know, Celebrity Page, we love to focus on the positive side <laughs> oh, of yes, Celebrity sure News. Oh, yes, sure do. And getting to work with Julie Chen at the top. Obviously, I'm very excited love about her. the new season of Big Brother that's coming out. Okay, right on. You see, Julie's been posting all this stuff from inside the house. All I was looking, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Even like the little thing with the dog filter. Yeah. So I guess people, when they're missing their phones and missing their dog filter, they can put that yeah, up. Yeah, put that up, like yeah. they're getting their fix. <laughs> so I'm so excited. Wednesday night, that starts. Okay. And Julie's excited about it and seeing okay. how excited she is about it. Yes. It got me so excited. I didn't watch it until I met Julie. Are you on the talk this week? I was just on this past. You just on this past. Okay, got it. Okay. Well, that about wraps it up, guys. Thanks for telling me tomorrow, though. Shameless plug alert. Okay, so uh, guys, thank you for joining me today. Happy Pride again, and thank you to all the viewers for tuning in. And join us next week when uh, these three seats are filled with another three journalists, and as we tackle Hollywood, not nearly as handsome as us. (laughs) Thank you. Take care. That's all. Love, Sarah. Come on. (laughs) From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.